Those are for during the sermon, not during worship. You can pay attention during worship.
Announcements and we'll pray and we'll jump back into worship. Uh, don't forget, Hall of a Lot of Fun is literally right around the corner. So we're donating bags of uh, individual, individually wrapped, unopened candy. You can see an example, example right there. Don't open the candy. Don't open the bag of candy. Bring it in just like that, unopened, individually wrapped, and donate. And then you can bring them right up to the last minute. Also, we're designing games because the kids play the games down the hallway. And then as they go, they get candy. That's kind of how it's done. They can repeat. They don't go back. Right? And then we're going to only release them to the next game after the team before them or the people that came before them are done. That way we won't be stacking people up at games just like we've done before. And that also helps with social distancing and things like that. So it's going to be a hall of a lot of fun. Right down the hallway, October 31st, same time as Trick or Freedom. All of a lot of fun. Okay? And then we have other things going on. So first week in November, that's, it should be on your radar already. 
November 7th through the 10th. So Sunday morning is the 7th, and Jerry East from Mississippi will be here with us, and he's going to preach for us that Sunday morning, and then he will be preaching with us Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. And then that Tuesday night, we're going to have a special time, so we get all our ducks in a row, where the ladies and the men will be separate. The men will be uh, in here with Jerry, and the ladies will have a different message, different lesson with Jerry's wife, whose name I can't remember right this second, and I just said that on Facebook, so she's not uh, too sensitive about that, but that's okay. But anyway, so she will do that with the ladies on Tuesday night, and then our leaders will take care of the kids on Tuesday night. Uh, and, but Monday and Wednesday night, then she will be with the kids. So the kids will, only, just like on Sunday mornings, they'll just be in here briefly and then go out. And that's coming up. You'll hear more about it. Second, no, second Sunday in November is all family fellowship. So that's a potluck. You bring your food with you to church when you come. Afterwards, we'll have a lunch together in the multi-purpose room. Seventh is also a Grand Prix kickoff. Right. So the seventh, which is a week after Fall Fest, Right after church, a little bit of break, and then we'll be, we'll, we'll be racing Matchbox cars down our great big wooden Grand Prix track, so you can bring your favorite Matchbox car to race, and that's open to anybody, adults, kids, doesn't matter, we'll race and we'll see what happens. Um, however, then, immediately following that, you'll have the opportunity to get a kit, a wooden kit, where you'll build from scratch a car to race in the Grand Prix. And we will have workshops, so we have some men who've already committed to that and then are willing to, I'll get you a second here. Um, are willing to help you build your car and you stand, and on the 7th you'll see examples of what those cars can look like. Adults can also build cars for the Grand Prix, but they will not be racing the kids, obviously, okay? It will only be a certain age will actually be racing for speed. The rest of it you build race for kind of like design and goofiness and whatever, okay? So we'll have some categories and that kind of thing. Aaron, question or statement. Uh, for, for any of the kids who you know, may not have Matchbox cars or whatever, um, just ordered Matchbox cars the other day for prizes for the kids, which will be here by next week, so um, those will be available for the kids. There you go. So if you get your points and do your job in your classes, then you'll win Matchbox cars, and you can keep it in the package until the day of, break it out, and race at that boy. It's supposed be awesome. to be unopened. You're supposed to bring it out. Yes, bring it, oh, bring it unopened if possible. Okay. Uh, October 24th is the membership meeting. Uh, this month, we will be doing nominations for the budget team at that meeting, so, so be thinking about that. If you can pray about that, think about that, and we can, get, we can get that nailed down so we can write that budget for next year. Okay, there's probably more. It's an active time of year, and it's going right into Christmas, okay? So there's a lot going on. It's an exciting time, um, and I'm super excited to see what's going to happen with Revival, what's going to happen with that, and uh, with the Grand Prix. We've never done a Grand Prix. This is new, but we have a new-to-us, beautiful wooden track that uh, Brother Tony and Michael and some others are going to put together for us and get all set up and ready to go. And I'm super excited about that because we've never done that before. So that's cool. We've seen it. And some of us did it back in the day at East Little Baptist Church when we're back there. We've never done it here. And it's going to be fun. Okay? So, let's pray together and let's worship God. God is abundantly blessing us in what otherwise might be considered a dark hour or difficult time. Okay? And so let's be blessed, but let's praise the one who blesses us. Let's pray together. Tyler, Tyler, buddy, we're going to pray, okay? Here we go. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. Even this short list reminds us of how powerfully at work, blessing, and protecting your people you are. You've called us into the plan of the kingdom of advance. You've called us into sharing the gospel and serving people. We are grateful for the opportunity to provide groceries for the hungry, uh, to provide an encouraging word for those who are spiritually sick. 
We're grateful for the opportunity to pray for one another, lift each other up, to work together as a church to do the things of the kingdom and to help each other at our houses or help each other on the job or help each other wherever we can. Lord, let us work together now to praise you. Bring us to unity in this place. Help us set aside all distractions. We know to a degree where there is youth, there is an excess of energy. And our children, our young people in this room are always very patient with us as we try to serve you and worship you in this way. I ask you to help them get through. I ask you, Lord, for us to be patient with them as we all together are on a journey. And each one of us is at a unique place where we intend to work together to reach new heights in Jesus today as we praise you. Bless the voices, my own especially, I suppose, Lord, because when I had that cold, my voice has felt stronger ever since I walked in this room today. That has all we And I'm grateful. And we just ask you to take over and protect and provide as we know you want to do. And call us to reach new heights in Jesus today. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much. Let's praise you. Alright. I need everybody to stand up. Clear your hands. Not children. You don't have to drop the kids. Put the phones away. Put the pens away. We're going to stand up and worship together. The drummer can sit down. Piano player can sit. You dish for a second. I need a pass. Alright. Here we go.
right, real quick, I want to explain something to the young people in the room. And this may show my age. Sorry, parents. Back when I was the teenager sitting in the corner, we used paper and pencil to talk. So at least the parents didn't know we were talking. At least it wasn't a distraction. Just a suggestion.
All right, you can be seated at this time. I was on uh, Facebook, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday or something, and I saw somebody post something, and they said, uh, we're talking about why people don't come to church, or why they don't participate in worship, why they don't get involved in, in uh, the kingdom of God and through the local church. And one of the things they said was that it used to be you'd come to church and you'd meet, you'd meet God there. It used to be you'd come to church and they would preach from the word and you would hear the word preached and explain to you and, and then tell you what to do about it and the spirit would back that up and people would go and do what they were told or what God told them to do and as it used to be you'd come and you'd have lively worship you'd sing songs about God or as if God were talking to you you'd be able to listen through those songs and hear so it used to be there was a moment in time in the service where people would share what they had seen in the Word or what they had heard that week from God, what was going on in their lives that they wanted to talk about. And they said, uh, and this person on Facebook said, that's the problem. You can't find those things in church anymore. And I thought, (laughs) they're all in our church. They're right here. So yeah, that's pretty much how it's done. So this is that moment in time in which we we share um, with each other. And I hope you do. I mean, you probably really shouldn't spend most of your energy praying, reading your Bible and praying, thinking about like what you can tell others. Really, you want to hear from God. You want to learn from God and grow and be um, changed. The Word of God changes us every time we go into the Word. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, then when you're changed, when you hear from God, I mean, no Word of God ever comes back void. It's supposed to facilitate a change in you. And then if it does... You might be supposed to take that and share it with somebody else so that they can ex- experience God. And they may not get the same message out of it even that you did. You might hear from God and go, oh, well, God told me to go and do this. And they may hear the same thing and say, well, God's telling me to go and do this. It's totally different than what he told you. But they still get it. Or they might hear how you read your Bible or prayed or what you heard from God. And they might not get a message from that at all. But they might learn something about how one can hear from God or how what God might be saying in our day. How many times do we do the inspirational moment and we come together and somebody hears, found something in Scripture, and somebody hears, found something in Scripture, and, and whatever, and it's all the same thing. We, wind, we realize we're all really talking about the same thing. I'm a firm believer that the... Um, I'm a firm believer that the Scripture all ties together and the sermon is written before the pastor ever thinks about it. And I think he's write, writing it on our hearts. And I think that as the word is preached, we find in us what God has already put there. And that's why we're so changed. That's why we're so transformed, because God is already at work. The Bible says, no one cometh unto the Lord except he be called. And so God has already called the lost to himself, that who will get saved. And they can decline if they choose to. And it's the same with us. God has already called us to hear him. He's already called us to read our Bibles and see what it says and do something about it. He's already called us to spend time in prayer. Alone with God and corporately together, right? And that's what this moment is all about. So I hope you've done that. If you haven't, let me encourage you to do it before next time. So you can come in here next time. Uh, if you hadn't noticed, by the way, on the front of the bulletin, 
are two pictures that were generated because of the art starter. So kids, if you look on the front right here, adults, you may not be painters or drawers, you might be sculptors, you might be workers of wood, whatever. These are just two pictures that were created from the art starter. This Right now the art starter is God's promise to mankind. And we have one down on the bottom left, you can see it on the front of your bulletin, but it says, God can be trusted, Hebrews 10.23. And then there's the cross that says God and God and Jesus. And it kind of looks to me like that promise is coming to the earth, which is down the right-hand corner through the cross. That's what it kind of looks like. And then the one on the upper, up, upper right there says 55.22, but there's no book, just the reference. Because there's not that many books that have 55.22, but there are several. So I would ask of you then, and this is, I, I made this picture, by the way. So I, just, I know it's not great, but I made it. Okay? But anyway, uh, I would ask you to find that verse. It's in chapter 55, verse 22. You say, but that might take me a little while. There might be seven books. I'm going to have to go read seven different books that have, or maybe ten different books that have a 55th chapter and 22nd verse. Well, how many of them will have God's promise? In it, maybe more than one. So, but I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you to come back next week and know that reference, what book that's from. Okay. So, this is just a way to meditate on the word. You don't you say I don't draw, I don't paint, whatever. Uh, you can find something. You might write a poem. You might you might do some. You could string together scripture. Just put together a string of verses. Write a song. Find a song. Find a video that says what you think God is saying in your heart, right? Any kind of art you can do just to get you meditating and thinking. We have very little time left. November 22nd ends our emphasis on meditation. We won't be back to it for five years. We'll talk about it briefly now and then, but right now we're emphasizing meditation, and this is yet another way that we're doing it. Okay, that being said, if you do break something, we'll share it. We don't have to put your name to it. We don't have to tell who did it. But we'll share it so people can be thinking about examples of meditating through art or crafts or whatever, music, whatever it might be. All right? Okay, so now, who has seen something this week that you'd like to share? Go. Um, God definitely showed his strength this week to me, um, the last couple weeks, really. Um, in the strength in church family, the strength in friends, um, it's been a stressful couple of weeks between the roof and then the life station being understaffed and people being out sick, and it, it was a lot. Um, there was a couple times that I was like on the verge of a mental breakdown, and I was able to call someone to talk or to listen even or pray with me and um, to pull out of it, and things actually went pretty smoothly, even though I felt like it was a train wreck. Um, at times, but there was a calm and a peace that I normally would not have had, and I know for a fact that that was God stepping in to get me through the stress of everything. Yeah, amen. And, and this, uh, take it or leave it, your choice, but I want to say this to you. God always, always, always shows up and gives you strength when you're standing in your tent holding it up in the rain. Mm -hmm. Right? Next. Uh, so last night I took a couple of the youth out and we played nightball tag at my buddy's house and my buddy Charlie lives in the middle of nowhere. Like he lives like he's got two acres of property between him and his dad and their next closest neighbor is a mile away. So it's a very in, very closed. I mean, but it's cool because the property is like surrounded in a bunch of trees, so it's kind of 
secluded and it's really nice there. So I took them there to play nightball tag and it got really dark. Yeah, really dark on that. So it was a lot different than playing at Dan Sherry's where we normally play because there's lights in the city so it's not as dark there. But we were playing and the first game of nightball tag we played, I was hiding and I was laying on the ground, flat on the ground, kind of behind the tree, but not really like kind of in the like kind of in the open. If you would have looked, you would have saw me. But then it got really dark, and everyone's walking past, and they're all like, and at one point, my friend Charlie's brother, Brandon, he kept coming over because he knew that that's the general area where I was, and he kept saying, where's this dude at? And at one point, he was standing maybe five feet away from me, and he could not see me. And that game ended, and we played another game, and I hid in that same exact spot. Because nobody knew where I was. So I was like, I'm going to go back there. And I'm laying there hiding. And at one point in time, everybody that was playing was standing maybe 20 feet away from me with flashlights shining in every direction trying to find out where I was. And it got to the point where we ended and on my way home after dropping them all off, I was thinking about it and I was like, sometimes... You can hide in what seems like the most obvious place. Because I've done that before playing Nightfall Tag. There was one point where I was playing at Dan and Sherry's and I just laid in the middle of the field. And I just laid there. And everybody's running past and nobody could find me. And it was, to me, it's comical. I find it funny. But the more I thought about it on my way home, in my car ride home by myself, I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, there's so many times where we think that God isn't there, that he's hiding, or we try to hide from God because we knew we screwed up and we knew we messed up and we try to hide from him. And it seems like no matter how dark it is, no matter how how good you think your spot is, God is always going to find you. There's nowhere you can hide from, there's nowhere you can run, God is going to find you. And when I was thinking about that, it, I was just... It blew me away because I'm like, you know, how many times have we tried to do that? To try to hide. And all God has to do is shine that little bit of light and you're found. And so, like I said, when when I was hiding and everyone was shining flashlights trying to find me. I mean, there was a few times where I, like they'd shine the light right at me. And I was like, great, I'm found. And they're like, I still can't find you. And when we do that with God... He is going to find you. So don't waste your life running from God. Don't waste your time that you have here running from God and hiding from Him. Spend your time with Him. Even in your messed up times, even when you know that you messed up, even though you know you made a mistake, and you know what you're supposed to be doing and you didn't do it, don't waste your time running because you're going to get found. There's nowhere safe on this planet that you can go to hide from Him. So don't waste your life hiding and being afraid of what the outcome is. Instead, grab it and run with it. Because God is going to carry you through that. Um, a little bit about what Alicia was saying with the whole roof thing. I am not a roofer. I've never done a roof. And I started, and I got to a point where I was terrified that I had no idea what I was doing. And I was just going to screw everything up. 
And now it's done, and I look back, and I'm like, you know, I made mistakes. There was things I could have done better. But like Alicia said, I was calm. God brought me through it because instead of running from it, I just, okay, this is the task in front of me. This has to get done. This is what I got to do. So when we're doing our work for God, don't run from it. Just face the task head on. Run into it. Plow into it because God is going to give you the strength you need to get through that. And let's just let's just talk out there in theory for a moment. Let's say God sets you up on a task, and you say you know it's what God wants you to do, and you pile in. If it doesn't go the way you expected, don't think that's a surprise to God. He knew from the beginning what was going to happen. He knows the outcome. He knows whether you're going to make it through and exactly what's going to happen along the way and the results of that. And He will always turn it out for your good if you love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that's part of the problem is people don't love him or don't aren't called on his purpose and things go really bad, they go really, really bad. And and then people are afraid. And so you're right. It's God's job, God's given it to you to do, pile in and do it. Good work. We had a hide and seek incident in our house, by the way, and I and you were oh, you were like tipping the third thing that I was gonna say about that. Uh, Ariana and I played hide and seek last night, as a matter of fact. I've been sick a uh, better part of the week and I so I haven't really done a lot of physical activity and stuff, and I want to get some steps in and do some stuff. So I said, let's play hide and seek. So we were playing it where she hit first, and then I, and then I hit second, and we timed how long it took. Because in the house, you're always going to find them eventually. Right? We timed how long it took. And so then we were comparing our time. So the first time, it took me over three minutes to find her, and it only took her like a minute and 20 seconds to find me. And so she beat me easily. And the second time, it only took me like... 40 seconds to find her, and I said, it's going to be hard to beat that, and so then I went and hid. So when I hid, I hid, I hid standing on the kitchen stool in the back hallway with the top of the Paw Patrol tent in front of me. And so she's going all through the house, checking everywhere. We had most of the lights off. She's checking. When she went to the office, she said, Mom, do you know where Dad is? No, I know where he's at. She comes back. She went right past me again. She goes all checking all the downstairs. She comes check right past me again, checking on. And every time she went past me, she's looking everywhere in the hallway that makes sense. Except up. And I'm standing there, and the only thing you could see in front of the, this pop patrol tent brown thing is like four foot and is in front of me. So the only thing you could see is my head. But what's a pop patrol tent doing up on the wall, starting at four foot off the wall? You know, I don't know, but anyway. So she's just going by, and I'm not there, and I'm not there. She did it like four times. And then finally, she walked down the hallway after checking the office and with her mom a third time and saying, I just can't find him. I don't know where he's at. I think he's gone. And she looked up at me. She went like this. She looked up and she went, like, there's something, there's a, a disembodied head on the wall. And she spazzed a little bit, and then I started laughing, and when I started laughing, she spazzed even more, right? It scared her. And, um, and this is what the Lord said to me. Sometimes, we're looking at the Lord, we're looking at what we're doing. We're looking at what's going on in our lives. And what we really need to do is just look up. God is with us, yes, in everything, yes, and you have to see it sometimes. Sometimes you've got to go, okay, how is God in this? And just like that, he's there. Just like that, you find it. Sometimes it'll shock you to find it in the midst of those trials and difficulties. You go, Whoa, God is there. Well, that didn't turn out at all like I expected. He really took care of that, or he changed that. Well, I thought this would be good. I had no idea what was going to happen. And so sometimes we just need to look up and think, okay, God is here. Now, how is he here? And most things we think are absolutely necessary in this life, not so much. We find out they're not. All right, so we're going to go ahead and pray at this time and go into a little bit more worship, release the kids, go to the Word. I'm excited. Today's message, 
uh, entitled "Where Is God When You Feel Betrayed?" really spoke to my heart, and I think uh, I think it will you too. So I hope so. And the kids' lessons are prepared. We're excited about that. So, um, is there a, a, a young person in the house that would volunteer to pray for us? All right, Ariana, would you do that? Nice and loud, so everybody can hear. Jesus, God, thank you for this day. Thanks for everybody that's up. Thank you for everything you gave us and for loving us and for caring for us. And without you, there would be no hope for us. There would ever be another man. And we worship you and pray to you every day. Amen. Thank you very much. Would you stand with us and sing, uh, at least with us one more? It deserves it. Oh, well. yeah. It deserves it. It deserves it. It really deserves it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
I'll need that back toward the end because I'm going to use it as an object lesson. So write some really important things in it. Okay. All right. He's with me. All right. I apologize in advance for the next, uh, I don't know, half hour or so. You're going to listen to this kind of sounding voice because that's the kind of sounding voice I have. So it's what I have to use today. All right. Um, we got a little bit of just kind of clearing the air to do before we dig into the text today. So the title of the sermon is, Where is God When I'm Feeling Betrayed? Understand that I don't usually, as, as, a, as a principle in myself, when I'm dealing with my spiritual growth and like that, I usually don't hone in a lot on feelings. Emotions can lie. You can feel saved or feel unsaved and, both, and be wrong in both cases. There were a lot of people who felt that they were the children of God and that they would definitely go to heaven. Nicodemus was an example of that. And Jesus said, though he was a holy man, fast two days a week, memorized whole books of the Bible, was in high demand as a preacher. But he was told if he was not born again, he would not go to heaven. And he was pretty surprised by that. And Jesus says, well, you should not be surprised. So let me say to you that emotions lie. And so we're not, when I say, where's God when I'm feeling betrayed? I am not talking about emotions, at least not only emotions. Okay. Also, I want to talk briefly about what is happening at the moment that you do feel betrayed. So this is talking about your assessment of the situation. I think, I feel the circumstances say to me something has happened that catches me off guard. A lot of times it's because uh, something went wrong that you didn't expect. You thought you had a job, good job. Uh, we, when I was at Pizza Hut, for example, we had to close a restaurant. And uh, they called me up on New Year's Eve and told me we were going to close the restaurant. And it was about 10 o'clock p.m. And they said, uh, you are not allowed to tell any of the employees and we're closed on New Year's Day. They were closed on New Year's Day until like 4 o'clock or whatever. They didn't work close for lunch. And he said, when you leave tonight, you'd be the last person out, put a sign on the door. It says, this restaurant is closed. And I said, well, all those employees are going to show up and they're not going to have any idea why the restaurant is closed. They're not going to know. And they, a lot of them have their phone number. They're going to be calling. They're going to be betrayed. And so it might be you think you have a job and suddenly you don't. It might be a loved one that you thought you could trust suddenly says or does something that seems out of character for them and you thought that could never happen. It might be some habit or trait that you have that was in your background. You sort of thought you put that away and all of a sudden it looms big again and you start dealing with it again. This is what I call a surprise attack against your soul. Understand that not even a surprise attack by an enemy is that much of a surprise, right? So in other words, if we're, we're not talking about when someone comes against you that you might expect. You know you have a liar in your circle. When they lie to you, you cannot claim that is a surprise attack. Okay? Because you know that that's the kind of person that they are. If you open yourself up again and again and again to be lied to, and again and again and again, you react as if it's a surprise attack, and you blow up, and you melt, and you have all these uh, all kind of problems because of it, then you are kidding yourself. And you're setting yourself up for failure over and over again. Does not mean you should not love that person. But you should not be surprised if they regularly lie to you when they lie to you. So an attack like this is some form of a surprise attack or a betrayal when it comes from an unexpected source, an unexpected quarter, meaning an, a, an area of your life that you're not expecting that attack to come from, or by an unexpected method that was previously deemed impossible. Years ago, years ago, many years ago, in a war versus Rome, Hannibal marched an army of elephants across the uh, mountains and came down and attacked the Romans with great success. And that's, that's how he gained his name um, and was known in history. 
it came from a surprising quarter because no one thought you could march elephants across the mountains. Now, the facts of that don't really matter, but it's an illustration to explain that, that you can see that it comes from a surprising quarter. When Ariana was shocked to see a floating head on the wall, which wasn't really floating, it was just sort of camouflaged, that was because it came from a surprising quarter. Okay, So that's what we're talking about today. So when I say, where's God when I'm feeling betrayed, I'm saying, where's God when I'm feeling in all my senses and seeing and, know, and all the facts that I'm assessing, etc., when I'm realizing that I am under an attack, and you could say that my soul is under an attack either from a surprise quarter, an unexpected source, or an, an unexpected method maybe that went away, was deemed impossible or improbable, and now is attacking. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. All right, now, we've cleared the air. Grab your Bibles with me if you would, and we're going to go um, to the book that you'll find in the middle. So if you're, having, if you're not super good at having your Bible books memorized, if you kind of split it down the middle, you're going to wind up either in the book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs. And if you're in Proverbs, just go left, and you'll find, you'll find the book of Psalms. So is anybody excited? Could you give me an amen, hoot, holler, something as we go to Psalms 55? Amen. Yep. Okay, so this is God's Word. I appreciate those of you who joined me in that little object lesson there. Um, and that's just to remind us that we have switched modes now. Our thought processes should be directed at hearing from the Lord. Our hearts should be ride, wide open to Him writing on them and to Him calling up the writing that He's already put there for Him allowing us to reach new heights in Jesus today. We are going to read the entirety of the psalm. It will go by quickly. I will not explain every little detail, but I'll, I'll stop a couple points just to make sure what's happening. I was going to say, that was supposed to be the kids to find that out. <laughs> Anybody's welcome to figure that out, but the kids uh, will have to do a little bit more work, I think. It could be. It, we get there. There are. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide thyself from my supplication. In other words, just God, just listen to me as I beg you. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I am surely distracted. So a restless soul, a distracted nature. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. So he's oppressed by many enemies. My heart is in anguish within me and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. When I first read that, I, I had a, just a picture pop in my head of my name written on a piece of paper and it was written in acrylic paint and then water ran over it and my name just blurred. And so what I'm saying to you, when, when it says my heart is in anguish within me and the terrors of death have fallen upon me, basically you're losing your identity of who you are. When you are in a place like this, when you feel and you, it, everything that you are tells you that you have been betrayed, you begin to lose who you are. That's what he's saying. My heart is in anguish within me and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. In other words, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And you start to feel like you're melting. You're running out of you. Verse 7. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. Confuse, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around her upon her walls, 
and iniquity and mischief are in her midst. Destruction is in her midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. So in other words, the city is being beset upon by all of these people who are essentially enemies. There is much sin and mischief, many wrong things being done. Destruction is every day. Oppression and deceit. Oppression means being pushed down into some force to be something or forced to be smaller. It's forced to be less in control. And deceit is trickery. Those things do not depart from her streets, the streets of the city. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Okay, now here's the thing. Remember I said that betrayal, it comes from an unexpected quarter. Now listen to what he says. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. See, when the enemy comes against us, that really doesn't surprise you. If you step in a boxing ring and put boxing gloves on, you sort of expect to get hit. And you may have reasonably good defense, but you sort of expect to get hit. But if you are not in a boxing ring, you're walking down the street eating a corn dog, and a boxer jumps out from around the corner and starts pummeling you in the face with boxing gloves, that's going to be a surprise, right? Because you're not expecting that. He says, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. So someone, something, a thing in my life has exalted himself, itself, comes from an unexpected quarter against me, but it's not someone or something that hates me. Okay, So it doesn't have to be a bad thing, but it, it set itself up against me, is what he's saying. Then I could hide myself from him, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. See, he's, he's talking about being betrayed by somebody close to him. He who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol for evil is in their dwelling, in their midst. As for me, I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will complain and murmur and he will hear my voice. Okay. You're going to get the single one and only time I'm ever going to authorize you to complain and murmur right here. Okay? Just do it to God, not to me. Just do it to God, not to people you love. Just do it to God, not to your friends. Just do it to God, not on social media. Just do it to God, not anywhere else. Go in your prayer closet, get alone with the Lord, and complain and murmur all you want. Don't be surprised if God corrects you. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. For they are many who strive with me. God will hear and answer them. Even the one who sits enthroned enthroned from of old. That's talking about God. God will hear and answer them. Answer the people that speak out against me. Answer the challenges that come against me from unexpected quarters. Answer the friends and family members who come against me when they shouldn't because they should be for me. God will hear and answer them. Even the one who sits enthroned from of old with whom there is no change and who do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He has violated his covenant. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. It's talking about the betrayer, right? Now you can, you can say, well, the real betrayer is Satan. 
You can say evil spirits are betrayers. I submit to you, they, they don't betray. I mean, they may pretend to be your friend, and if you're stupid enough to think that they're your friend, then they can betray you. But let's be realistic. They are not friends. They are enemies. They are not betrayers. Betrayers to God, right? Because once they were not his enemies. Betrayers to God, but not betrayers to us. They have been our enemies since we were born. So no surprise there. But there are those who claim to be our friends who then come against us. There are family members, there are church members, there are people, situations that can be, uh, you trust in money, money's a betrayer. I'm warning you right now. Money's a betrayer. It says this, verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Don't tell the children. <laughs> Cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Man, there's good promises in that verse right there. One left. But thou, O God will bring them down to the pit of destruction. And that word there uh, in the Hebrew is akin to Sheol. So it, means, it really means the place of stinking. <laughs> it's pretty nasty. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. <clears throat> in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter's writing and he says, he tells us very clearly to be aware of that which wars against the soul. We kind of got dwelling on this a little bit on Tuesday night and it really touched my heart. In fact, I started writing a book uh, that may one day be done and be called Soul Warfare. I'm going to read it to you briefly. It says, Behold, I urge you as aliens, that means someone who's far from their home, and strangers, that means someone who doesn't belong here, doesn't isn't connected with everyone here, to abstain, that means move away from, have nothing to do with, fleshly lusts, to abstain from fleshly lusts. So that's what your body wants that's not good for you, which wage war against the soul. Let's be realistic. Our evil desires, the things that we want that are not good for us, they are, they are what wage against our souls. But everything is being done in the world right now to make you think that most of the desires of your flesh can be met or not cause you any damage. Go after what you want. You should have what you want. You work hard. You should be able to spend your money any way you want to. Enjoy your life. You deserve it. Here, look at this. For just this dollar amount, you can have a small gut. Here, look at this. For just this amount of money, your wife will finally love you the way she should. It's out there and it proliferates. It spreads. It's how they make their fortunes. They are simply chasing after what their flesh wants and they know that through crowdfunding, by getting everybody else to chase after what their flesh wants, they can get you to do what they want you to do, which is give them your money or your time or whatever. These desires of your flesh that are not good, they war against your soul. They would like nothing better than for you to think that the desires of your flesh are not your enemy. Sometimes we feel betrayed. We assess everything as betrayal that's in our life. We've been betrayed 
because we can't have what we want. I'm here to burst the bubble of self-denial and tell you today, you can't have what your flesh wants because it's not good for you. There are things your flesh wants that is good for you. And you can generally have those things. Water, nutritious food, sleep, even some entertainment, stress relief, good relationships, heavily vested into, hard working, good relationships. There are things that you can want that you can have and there are things that you can want that are bad for you. Remember that this kind of betrayal that we're talking about comes from an unexpected quarter. It's not an overt, outright enemy. So if you are here today and you are feeling in all that you are that you have been betrayed, but the reason you are feeling that is because you cannot have what you want and that thing that you want is not actually good for you, you've not been betrayed, you're lying to yourself again. And you'll do it Again, because it's a patterned behavior. This is what happens in the world for people who don't know Jesus. They can't have what they want. It's said that something like 80 to 90% of married men, and I don't know, I'm guessing the percentage is much smaller amongst Christianity. I hope it is. It is in my case, because I wouldn't fit the statistic. But they say 80 to 90% of married men live a life of quiet desperation. They can't control their wife. They can't get her to do what they want her to do when they want her to do it. And they can't figure out why life has to be that way. You are not supposed to control your wife. That was not given for you to do. They are feeling betrayed in their marriages because they want what their flesh wants, which is not actually good for them, and they're not getting it. They are the enemy. That's one example, but it's all over the place. People are rushing out to buy every kind of exercise equipment it is because they're not satisfied with the conditions of their bodies, whatever those are. You're going to be 2% body fat, ripped like a superstar, and people are out buying the next $2,000 because they've either got to maintain it or because they've got to shape themselves or be better. You could literally never be satisfied and there's always going to be telling somebody, somebody telling you that you shouldn't be. So what I'm asking you is as we do the rest of this message, stop sitting there and thinking, I feel betrayed in these areas of your life where you're not getting what you want because those are not the areas that we're talking about. Okay? What we're talking about is surprise attacks against your soul coming from areas that are not your fleshly desires that you should already be abstaining from. By the way, side note, if you abstain from those fleshly desires, they will not war against your soul the way they do if you don't abstain against them. Right? So you have a solution already before you. You don't need the solution I'm about to offer. If your problem is you want something and you can't have it and that's what's upsetting you, you already have the solution. Abstain from your fleshly desires. All right. So here is the question of the sermon. Where is God when I'm feeling betrayed? When I'm feeling like my heart has been ripped in two, 
When an unexpected attack has come against my soul from a quarter I didn't know it was going to come from, from a person who I didn't think was an enemy, or a situation that I didn't think was going to matter, where is God? Well, very simply put, God is waiting. We have a book at home that we like to read, um, Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. I could have brought a copy with it today, um, with me today, but I didn't. In that book, in the middle of the book, it says, sometimes you'll wind up in the waiting place. And the waiting place is where everyone's waiting for something. They're waiting for this, a train, a boat, a, a phone call, whatever. They're waiting for it to stop raining. Everyone's waiting for something. But you won't get stuck in that place because waiting is not for you. That's what it says in the book. But God, when we face despair like I'm talking about, when you go, man, I am unsettled. I don't know what to do with this. I feel like I could just die, fold up, be done. We read the psalm. You can understand the emotions that he was feeling. Where is God when that happens? He's waiting. He's ready. He's present. You say, but that's not right. That's not fair. God is waiting and ready and present. Peter wrote a little further on, um, Cast all your cares upon the Lord. Are you familiar with that verse? Mm -hmm. Cast all your care. Before we do this, we're going to have a little object lesson. I have a a fluffy ball in my pocket. Okay? And so, Kishan, I'm going to need you to participate in my object. I'm volunteering you. Go stand there by the back door, please. All right, and then I need two adults. Volunteers. Okay, can we stand where we are? It's fine. All right, I need one more. I only want some, I won't hold somebody else. Alright, come on, Eric. Over here on this side by the youngins. Over here. Right in the aisle over there. Yes. He is an adult. Yes, he is. He's got a lot of experience in that youthful frame. Okay, so here we go. So I'm just going to toss you the ball. I'd like you to catch it. Okay? Alright, very good. Okay? Very good. Okay. This is called playing catch, right? So I want you to understand that when I throw the ball, I am casting the ball. Scripture says, cast your cares upon the Lord. Okay? Notice that was a bad throw, and yet Brother Tony Tate caught it. Okay? That was a bad throw, and yet Aaron caught it. Are you ready? You got your speed on? Okay, here it goes. Nice. Okay? I'm going to do it one more time. You ready? Nice. Okay. Everybody can have a seat. This is what the Lord laid on my heart so strong. We get in this situation where we're feeling this betrayal, right? Where we're feeling this betrayal and we don't, A, know how to, B, want to cast our cares upon the Lord. We don't want to do it because, number one, we're afraid that the Lord will not take care of them. Doubt is not of faith. If you are doubting casting your cares upon the Lord when you're in that moment, I know you're ripped. I know your tears are streaming down your face. Or you're frustrated and angry. You don't understand why it's like this, whatever. And that moment when you doubt that God will do what God does, there is a question as to whether or not you're saved. You can't linger there. You should know before you get there what you're going to do, which is to cast your cares 
upon the Lord. All your anxiety, all your worries, and all your concerns, God will deal with it. God's shoulders are big and broad. He is able. But better than that, He is waiting for your cast. Some time ago, I'm going to show my age now, almost 30 years ago, uh, over 25 for sure, I went on a mission trip. Michael was there. Long time ago, Michael. See how old you are? I'm not as old as Michael. Actually, I'm way older than Michael, but uh, we're striving to be young together, aren't we? We're going to stay young forever. We're on a mission trip. We went over by Cleveland, by Kent, actually, Akron, Akron area. And while we were there on the mission trip, it was Wednesday afternoon. It was 92-ish degrees outside, and the sun was beaming. And I was a youth minister, director, whatever you call it. They wouldn't call me minister because I hadn't been ordained and I hadn't gone to Bible college. And so I was a youth director, but I was ministering to the youth. And, and some of the boys come to me. I don't know if Michael was one of them. I can't remember for sure. And they asked me to come outside and play Ultimate Frisbee. Uh, but we didn't have a Frisbee. So we decided we'd play, we'd play Ultimate Frisbee. We'd play with a ball sock. You know, the ball sock has got a ball and it's got a sock that trails off the back of it. And we go outside in 92 degree, in degrees heat and burning sunshine in this huge grass field. And they said, we'll put one goal down there and one goal down there. And I'm going like, I don't know that in this heat, I was not healthy. Not like I got healthier later, but I wasn't even all that healthy at that time. But I don't fucking run that distance. And a uh, young man from our youth group was there and this boy had wheels. He was fast. He was one of, the, one of the fast, not the fastest, but one of the fastest in the youth group. And he said to me, he said, don't worry about it. I got you. That's okay. He said, so when, when I have the ball sock, just get open and I'll throw it to you. And then when you have the ball sock, just throw it somewhere in the open and I'll catch it. That was the plan. And we promptly beat them like 11 to 1. 11 touchdowns to 1. Because the kid was, basically, I would, he would throw the ball sock and I would catch it. And then I would, he would start running downfield and he would be running really far and I would just throw it as far as I could, but not toward a defender. But as far as I could, and he would see me throw it, and he would zip around, and he would go over there, and he would catch it. And then I would jog downfield, get in front of him, about 10 feet or so, and then I'd zip around a little bit, act like I was fast, even though I wasn't. And they would give me just enough opening, and he would throw me the ball, and then he'd take off downfield, and I would throw it to him. And as long as I didn't throw it to the enemy, he always caught it. A good enough receiver makes for a great quarterback every time. God is waiting, ready, and present. Cast your anxiety and your cares upon Him. Not only when you're stricken like this, but definitely when you're stricken like this. Say, Lord, I can't deal with this. I give it to You. Crumple it up. Write it on an actual physical piece of paper if you have to, in bold permanent marker, and then crumple it up and throw it to God. Throw it in the garbage can. Throw it in the fire. Get a lighter out and burn it on your kitchen counter in a ceramic bowl. If you need the symbolism. But understand that God is waiting for you to cast your cares on Him. You say, but I still, I still struggle with how to do that. Well, it's a beautiful thing that Scripture gives us basically the process then, isn't it? Before we go there, 
I want you to see something in these verses. And then we're going to see it again uh, in a minute. In Psalm 75, he says this, Cast your burdens upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. And then listen to these, this last part of that verse. He says, He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. The promise is this. When you are stricken, like what we are talking about, it says God will never allow the righteous to be shaken. So let's assume for a moment you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're following him. You're doing what he tells you to do to the best of your ability. And then you are surprise attacked. Your soul is attacked from an angle you were not expecting. Someone betrayed you. Something betrayed you. Something terrible happened. A loved one was taken before their time. A job ripped out from underneath you. A relationship. Somebody says something that really hurts you. Whatever. You're stricken in a way that just would normally just, you would melt. According to this promise, if you have the righteousness of God, which we get through believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God through Him. Become the righteousness of God through Him. So if you are the righteous in Jesus Christ, God will not allow you to be shaken. Cast your burdens upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will not allow you to be shaken. I'm going to say it this way, and we'll come back and look at it in just a second as we get close to the conclusion, which we're already narrowing in on it. This is our uniform. This is our team uniform. You could say this is our name. We are the unshaken. We are the ones who are not shaken. This is how God knows who are his. If you are unshaken, you say, but that's not fair because if I were left in my own power, I would be shaken. Yes, because if you are willing, God will make you his and make you unshakable. He will give you the righteousness of Christ and make you unshakable in the midst of the most heinous of surprise attacks. Look at 16 and 17 real quick. For step one of how to cast your cares upon the Lord. As for me, I shall call upon the Lord, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. A number of times, uh, I've been dealing with somebody who was stricken, or I've been somebody who was stricken, just like what we're talking about. It's happened more frequently than I like to admit uh, in my church and my life as a pastor, as a youth director. It's happened fairly often that someone has said or done something that I felt like was aimed directly at me. And, I was, and it was somebody that I loved and trusted. And I, and I was undercut in a way that I wasn't prepared for. Step one, call upon the Lord morning, noon, and night. Your heart is melting, is ripped apart in your chest. Complain and murmur to God. Do it repetitively. Call upon the name of the Lord and he will save you. Now look at Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Apologize for that. Jeremiah 33, 3. God says, Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. You call out to God. Call out to him. God, why has this happened? Ultimately, you're going to find that it's one of two things. 
God has allowed this, let's call it tragedy in your life. Because on the other side of it, you will be more fit for the kingdom of God. More fit for heaven. More fit for his use. Because maybe 10 years down the road, you're going to help a dozen people who are going through the same thing that you're going through right now. Or a hundred. Or thousands. Or one. Because God loves you so much. If you were just one, he would die for you. So he might take another one of his children and put them through something horrendous so that they will be available for that one who is coming up who's going to go through the same thing. And you would say, if God wants to use me and he's going to put me through the ringer to do it, I don't want to be used. That's what you would say? No. You would say, I don't want to go through the ringer, but if that's what it takes, Lord, do whatever you got to do. You say, but I didn't consent to that. Well, why, yes, you did. You said, Lord, if you'll save me, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. I'll take up my cross daily, which means I will be willing to die daily. I will suffer crucifixion, whipped to within an inch of my life, and then hung on a cross to suffocate in my own blood daily, if necessary, for you. That's what you said. And if you didn't say that, then now you know what the real problem is. You're seeking the righteousness of God. You want to be unshaken, but you don't actually want to be saved the way the pattern, the way he gives us to be saved. We are an unshakable kingdom. That doesn't mean we won't go through difficulties, trials, troubles. That means it's gonna, sometimes it's really going to stink. But the bottom line is, when it stinks, you call on him, murmur and complain to him. Call out to him to understand what's going on. Then go to Psalm 37. If you're following along in your Bible, which I encourage you to do, Psalm 37, in verse 5, the second slash third step. is a call out to him is really the first step, but it's so quickly transitioned to asking God, helping you understand. Right? You're murmuring and complaining, and in your murmuring and complaining, you're going to be saying, but God, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand. So that's the second step is to help to, for God to help you to understand. And then the third step is this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. Trust Him. Which, by the way, was the first step when you got saved. Trust Him. So now you're stricken, and your soul feels like it's crushed within you. And you've got nothing left anyway. If you could be turned into a dove, you'd just fly away and be done. You'd go hide in the woods for the rest of your life to be away from this situation. Of course, it would follow you there because it's really in your soul, right? But that's how you feel. You feel like you must get away. And the scripture says, call on him, murmur and complain to him morning, noon, and night. This is the problem. Here's what I, I see in most people. Most people suffer this kind of anguish and they feel like they have to do it in silence. Now, the truth is, you probably shouldn't be complaining to your friends. You shouldn't be murmuring. You shouldn't be slandering the person who betrayed you or the situation or whatever. You shouldn't be doing that. That's true. But you certainly can do that to God. You can even say to God, God, so-and-so hurt me so bad, just destroy them. In fact, did not the psalmist say, punish the wicked? 
But it wasn't the wicked that he was really hurt by. It was those who say that they were faithful. Those who say that they were in the body. Those who say that they were in the kingdom. They were in the family. They betrayed him. And he said, and if they do not change, he will send them down to the pit. I was talking with a young man, a very young man, an elementary school student who's been going through some bullying at school and and it really hasn't been mostly directed at him. It's been directed at another friend. But he's been a witness to it. He's been trying to stop it. You know, and do what he can. The teachers won't stop it, or they haven't stopped it yet. And I think in my experience in school, is it takes students. You want to stop bullying? It takes students doing it because teachers just aren't always around. And I'm not saying go beat them up, right? In fact, that's what I told him. I said, if somebody comes against you, and they are clearly an enemy, and they are going to try to hurt you, maybe kill you, break a limb, cut you, they've got a knife, whatever. I said, here's what I tell you: you do everything in your power to hurt that person before they hurt you. They come against you with a knife, you defend yourself. Because now you know they're an enemy and they're really trying to hurt you. However, bullies, nine times out of ten, they're not really your enemy. They're just also hurting. They're just doing what they're doing because their core is messed up. They got in a place of anguish, the very likes of what we're describing. And what they decided to do was strike out and hurt others so they could feel better inside themselves. They have the same problem you do. Same problem I do. So they're not really an enemy in that sense. So when they come against you, if they try to hurt you, you defend yourself the best you can, but don't try to hurt them to stop them. But if they transition and they become an assailant, they draw something and try to stab you or they try to hit you with a rock, that changes who they are. right? Because now they're an assailant or a murderer and they should be stopped. We have to realize that your, our answers, our solutions, they're not here. They're in God. And He is waiting and ready. You, you call out to Him morning, noon, and night and say, Oh God! I'm breaking up here, God! Hold me together! My heart is being destroyed, God! It's been ripped in tiny shreds of stuff back in my chest! Please, God! And then you transition And probably in and out, you say, God, I need to understand why this is happening. God, show me your wisdom. God, perfect my mind in this chaos. Heal me, mend me to face this burden. And he will. He promises he will. And you trust him. And when you trust him, he does what he said he would do in the first place. He always keeps his promises. Trust him. And he's a great receiver, God is. He'll receive your complaints, he'll receive your murmuring, he'll receive your cries for help, and he will help. You have to actually give it over to him. Matthew 11, just a few verses. Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28. Jesus says, Jesus speaking, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I'm like, wait a minute. This applies always. We're like, unsaved people, come to me, those of you who are weary, heavily laden, and I will give you rest. So if they're not saved and they come to Jesus, he'll save them and give them rest, right? But then after that, I ran into something God can't handle. No. No. It doesn't actually work that way. The moment you begin to feel 
heavily laden, the moment you begin to feel weary, what do you do? Give it to Him. And He will make you able. We take His yoke upon us. And that sometimes means suffering. I understand that there is a fellowship of suffering. We take His yoke upon us and we learn from Him. He is gentle and humble in heart. And we find rest for our souls. There's rest for our souls in Jesus. Not just in heaven, not just one day, but now. Faced with that which would rip our soul apart, we follow the basic steps that God has given us, and He is waiting for us to do so, ready to pour on the power. And He does. And He says, my yoke is easy and my load is light. Are you not giving it to him because you're afraid he won't handle it, can't handle it, he's too far away? We just covered last week, he's omnipresent. The moment you stop resisting giving it over to God, you're going to go, okay, where's God so I can give it to him? And he's literally going to be in your nose. He's going to be on your eyebrows. He's there in you. He's going to be in your heart. He's standing next to the dark blotch that's inside you, ripping at your soul right now like some kind of velociraptor. And he's standing there going, can I, can I, can I just squash it? Can I deal with it? Will you just let me have it? Can I have it, please? And you're going, no, I need this velociraptor so I can, so I can pity myself, so I can realize why I feel the way I do, so I, whatever your reasoning is, so I can give myself a reason to go buy myself more stuff that I can't afford because I'm aching inside. So I can give in to my greed. Right, So I have an excuse why I sleep in too much or why I show up late all the time or why I don't have words of encouragement for other people who are hurting. So I won't be troubled. So I can make the excuse that I'm not much of a talker. I can't compliment or encourage people because I need that Velociraptor God. But if the Velociraptor is really ripping at your soul, give it to God. And He'll handle it. And then finally, and you got to love this. I love this. David wrote a Psalm 62. David also wrote Psalm 65, or 55 that we've been reading from. But he wrote a Psalm 62 as well. We are in the conclusion now. But we'll recap. Psalm 62. And I'm just going to read the first 12 verses. Anyone following along? There are 12 verses in Psalm 62, by the way. For those of you who didn't know that. This is what it says. My soul waits in silence for... Listen to this. My soul waits in silence for God only. You don't need another solution. My soul waits in silence for God only. For Him is my salvation. From Him is my salvation. There we go. From Him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. Hear it again. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? Meaning they're going to fall down in their wickedness. They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse, Selah. My soul 
Wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Men of low degree are only vanity, and men of rank are a lie. Do you hear that? When you think you're in a rough spot, that's actually vanity. Because who judges whether you're in a rough spot or not? God does. So you're assuming God's position. Say, well, I deserve to be upset here. I should be allowed to go through extra time, steps, whatever. I should be allowed to blow up and get sloppy on people or say something nasty because I have been stricken in my soul, betrayed to the core. He stabbed me in the back. He said what he should never say. So then you declare yourself a man of low degree or a woman of low degree, and that is only vanity. Or... Men of rank are a lie. You say, that shouldn't be allowed to happen to me. I don't deserve that. That's a lie. We all deserve way worse than we'll ever get in this lifetime if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men of low degree are only vanity and men of rank are a lie. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than breath. Do not trust in opposition and do not vainly hope in robbery and rich, if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. In other words, when you start to do well and you're doing well and you're not being stricken in your soul, don't let that be a thing you cling to. Don't say, I'm okay, I'm so blessed, I'm good. And then when the betrayal comes, goes, well, now because I'm not, I'm betrayed. Remember money, prosperity, comfort, These things are all liars. They come and they go. And while they're here, they say they'll always be here. And then they're gone. Last two verses. Once God has spoken. Twice I have heard this. That power belongs to God. And loving kindness is thine, O Lord. For thou dost recompense a man according to his work. And then we have one text left. And it's in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they, were, when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. Listen to 26. And his voice shook the earth then. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. God said, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. You hear it? And then verse 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. And we'll throw on 29 for the fun of it. For our God is a consuming fire. You understand? 
In the midst of the worst of it, when you feel betrayed, where is God? He's right there. What do you do? Call out to Him. Complain and murmur in the morning, in the afternoon, in the night. Call out to Him for understanding of what's going on, to learn, to grow. Trust Him with it, and then hang in there under Him. Abide in Him. That's what Psalm 62 is all about. Stay in the Lord, doing what the Lord would have you to do. Being who the Lord would have you to be in Christ. And don't be shaken. When I was a very young Christian, uh, the softball coach at East Little Baptist Church approached me about coming out to play softball. And I played baseball once when I was in fifth grade and then I, or sixth grade, and then I tried to play again in seventh grade. But uh, the coach was never there to coach, and he had his two teenage sons coaching, and I just couldn't. I didn't prosper in that environment. I couldn't work with them. They were not not nice uh, from my perspective, and so I quit which I quit everything when I wasn't a Christian. I quit everything I ever did. I quit baseball, quit the trumpet, quit the French horn, uh, quit art. I quit literally everything I ever did. I quit every job I ever had. I was quitting constantly until I got saved and I realized we don't quit, we redeem. Something's bad, you fix it. You regenerate it. Let God get a piece of it and see what he can do. So anyway, I was asked to come out and play softball and I was nervous about it, but I said, sure, I'll give it a try. I went out that first season and my first 13 at-bats, which I wasn't sure I would ever even bat because when I played baseball back in the day, if you weren't the popular kid or really good at what you do, you didn't get to play. So I thought I'd be sitting on the bench and I found out everybody plays. That made me even more nervous. So my first 13 at-bats, I got 12 hits, all singles. And I would run to first base. I would hit the ball into the outfield somewhere through a hole or in a, a little blooper, and then I would run to first base, and I would stand there on first base preparing to run to second base, and as I was standing there, my legs were shaking. Just with the run to first base, I just ran to first base, that's it. I didn't run far, just set, was at 60-ish feet, whatever, just to first base, and my, my thighs would just... Like my vision was blurring because my, my thighs were shaking so bad from the run and from standing there ready to run to second base. It took a long time for God to show me that I had gotten to the place where just squatting down like this and preparing to run again after just having run 60 feet would cause my thighs to shake in weakness. This is what people are doing to themselves. I once wrote a blog in which I said, people shoot themselves in the foot and then spend the rest of their life complaining their foot hurts. That's not entirely accurate because most people don't shoot themselves in the foot. What they do is they stick themselves with a little pin again and again and again and again until there's so many pins in their foot it's, it's more damaged than if they had shot themselves in the foot. They stick themselves with a pin and then they complain, oh, my foot hurts. And then a little while later they stick themselves with another pin and say, oh, my foot hurts. Again, oh, my foot hurts. Oh, again, my foot hurts. We're doing it to ourselves as Christians and as non-Christians. As non-Christians, it's pretty obvious. They're enemies of God. They are, they are friends of the world, such as the world has friends. They're enemies with God. They're against God. Wrath is against them. I get that. But as Christians, then, this is what we're doing. Time and again, we're sticking ourselves in the foot, Right? You can't do what you used to be able to do. Half the time it's because you have not managed yourself. We're doing well in Christ. We think we're doing good. We're reading our Bibles. We're praying, etc. And then we find something that we like and we add that. We say, I'm going to put that in my life. 
And if it's going to be in your life, it's meant to teach you something about God. It's meant to teach, meant to teach you something about you. And if it's in your life and it's not for that purpose, if it's not for God to use to glorify himself, then it's not meant to be in your life, even if it's a good thing. And we add this, and we add that, and we add this, and we add that, and then pretty soon, there's no time for reading the Bible. There's no time for praying. There's no time for singing worship songs except for Sunday morning from about 11.30 to about 12.15. That's all we really got. There's no time for serving God. Well, there's time for serving, for praise and other things maybe, but there's no real time for serving God. Because slowly but surely, with each hit, with each unexpected turn, with each twist, we didn't turn it over, we didn't turn it over, we didn't turn it over, and now here we are, not turning it over by habit. I'm asking you to remember, while you are intentionally choosing to continue to suffer and struggle with whatever it is you're going through, that God himself is in you. Do you think God can be made to suffer again? He sure can. Because he's riding around in you and you're making the one he loves suffer. Turn it over to the Lord. Where is God when I am feeling betrayed? Assuming it's real and I actually have been betrayed. God is right there, ready, waiting, and present. Cast your anxiety, cast your worries, cast your care, cast everything you can think of that's bothering you. The next time you're laying in your bed at night trying to go to sleep and something plagues you, the next thing you say is, God, take that. I don't know I'm going to pay that bill. God, take that. I don't know how I'm going to get this done. God, take that. I look at my schedule. I can't get it all in. God, take the worry that I won't get it all in and just make it come in what needs to be in. Turn it over to the Lord. And if you don't, you're going to want it wearing a really big heavy backpack with two broken feet and marching through the rest of your life, suffering for no reason at all. Not that there's no suffering, but this kind of suffering, there is a pattern, there is a program, it's what God has told us to do, and we need to do it. Where is He? He's ready, He's waiting, He's present. Will you cast your cares and anxieties on the Lord today? He won't miss the pass. I ask the praise team to come forward at this time. And they're going to lead us in the final hymn. This is the closing hymn of our service today. And it's your opportunity to make a decision. If you're here today and God has spoken to you, and you make that publicly, unashamedly. And you say, okay, God has, has told me, or God has called on me. And you come and you say, or you stand wherever you are, and you say, this is what God wants me to do. This is what God has called me to do. And it might be repent of a specific sin that you've been carrying around. Repent of the anguish of those surprise attacks that you don't want to turn over to God, that you've not been willing to catch. Or maybe you just need to make a commitment and say, going forward from here, suffering as I am, because I'm still suffering, because I've been through some difficulties, I understand I'm still suffering. Suffering as I am, I commit myself to turn it over to the Lord morning, noon, and night. To ask God to, to grow me, to help me to understand. And to abide in God, and walk in God, and be in God with everything that I am and all that I'm doing. And let him take care of it. I commit to do that today. You did nothing less when you got saved. So if you're here today and you have not been saved, you have not said, okay, I'm going to turn my life completely over to the Lord, cast my cares upon him completely. I'm going to do that. If you've never said that, if you've never made that decision, you can make that decision right now. Because he is able to handle your sin and you are not. He is able to handle your anguish and you are not. You will go down into the place of stinking 
bearing that velociraptor or those thousand pins or that heavy backpack with you as you go. And all the way snarling and shouting and complaining about how rough your life was, how bad you had it. You're the only one that suffered like you did. It wasn't fair. You didn't deserve it. You'll scream all the way into eternity into the outer darkness in which there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not my words, his, because you will have known anytime you could cast it on the Lord and he would take it. So cast it on the Lord now and say, okay, Jesus, I'm yours. My days, all yours. The rest of my life, all yours. This, the anguish I'm feeling, the pain from being attacked, all yours. I give it over to you. And then abide in him. Remain in him for the rest of your day. That's what I'm asking you to do. And make your decision publicly. Don't be ashamed of it. As we sing this song, you stand with us and sing. Everybody stand up with us and sing. But if you're making a decision today, if you're coming or if you're saying something right where you are, then you just let us know. You don't have to get up or don't have to sing out. You just say, I'm talking. God is speaking to me and I'm talking today. blessing our God is the great receiver. He is right now ready for so somebody in this room that didn't turn over, whatever. Um, he, he'll take Give it to him. He, he's on his knees begging you. You don't need me or anyone else for that. between you and the Lord. I understand. So you can do that. I do encourage you always to make those decisions public so you, so others can be encouraged by your decision and maybe make that move. That being said, this is what the Lord laid on my heart. God is a great catcher, a great receiver. And we were created in his image. We are meant to be great receivers. We are Christians. We follow Jesus. Jesus is our example. A Christian is a little Christ. And what did Jesus do? He said, I do nothing except that which I see the Father doing every day. That's all he did. Just what he saw God doing. We are meant to be great receivers. 
the last few weeks I've handed a notebook to a couple of youth, and they didn't even know, and I didn't even know, starting this a couple weeks ago, that they were participating in my object lesson. But I think they were pretty good receivers at that time. These are the notes, and I'll read a few of them. Some of them are kind of funny, but they're kind of enjoyable, and they're kind of good. All right? um, this is from a message that from 10.3, and these are the notes. Manager at Pizza Place stopped listening to what he was saying, hired another girl, but she did the same thing. He who has clean hands and a good heart, you can be serving the Lord with clean hands, yet make bad choices. Doing what's right does not provide righteousness. A great purpose is to allow Jesus in your something. God's, it's right in the God says to Moses, take off your shoes. The Lord, strong and mighty, mighty and strong, and glory belongs to God. We must not worship the creation. He can take anything from you, but he's loving and chooses not to. I couldn't pay for it, so the bank did. All beings in creation are created by God. Everything and everyone is owned by God. God owns everything. Your house, money, family, car, and everything you can think of is owned by God. There's only so much wind. God will not regenerate any resources we need. We are on the time clock. If you roll down a giant gravel hill, you get hurt. God's holy hill and the gravel hill story connect the same people. Everyone is in the presence of God at all times. God is everywhere. You may not have everything you like or want. Nobody understands the grace of God is like unless you let it God in your life. The question is, are you a great receiver? Do you spend time reading your Bible? And when you spend time reading your Bible, don't do it out of just like it's a necessity or a burden or I've got to set aside five minutes a day or something. Do you spend time praying and talking to God and listen to what he's saying? And, and, and take your cares to him? And say, Lord, I cast my cares on you. I just get in the habit. Lord, I, I, I care about this. I'm not giving it to you. <clears throat> By that, you have to give the good stuff, too. The health of your children. You're like, ah, but I should be able to stress and worry about the health of my children because that's a human right. No, that's not a human right. It's a human right to exist, be born again, serve God, and those rights are paid for by God, not by us. Right? You don't really even technically have the right to breathe because you could just die and go to heaven and live for an eternity or go to hell or die for eternity. But we ought to be great catchers. Every time God speaks, you should be writing it down, you should be meditating on it, you should be thinking about it, you should be learning, you should be growing. When I when, when RJ preaches or somebody else preaches, I, I, I always take notes and I also draw. Because I'm just going to be playing with you, I'm ADD. I need more things going on. So I'm listening, but I'm writing notes so I don't forget. And I'm drawing a picture that goes along with what's being said. I have pictures on my bedroom. If you're ever at my house, you can come go see them. From every time that I've sat under RJ's preaching, I have a picture that I've drawn in front of the wall in my bedroom. So I can pray about them and meditate about them. I'm not saying anything prideful of me. Of, of all of us, I am probably the worst. I get that. That's not the point. My sin is the worst for me. I'm trying to deal with it. I'm asking you to be a good catcher. I ask you to bring a Bible. If you don't want to bring a Bible, don't bring a Bible. Just memorize all the words I'm going to preach from before you get here. That'll be fine. You know, and if you don't want to bring a Bible, go. Yeah. I, I also get ignored a lot. What I'm saying is, I'm asking you to be a good catcher. And you be the good catcher that you can be. Whatever that is. 
when we're talking about doing art about the verses, the one, the 5522 that I used for that picture was this 5522. I was the only kid that knows that. Right? All the other kids don't know that. Don't tell them if they don't find it. Encourage them to find it. You, if you want, you can encourage them to search for it and give them some hints. It's also the only 5522 in the Bible. Is it really? Yep. There's only one other chapter that has 5522. But it only has 13 verses. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? I didn't get that far because he started the minute the sermon. That's good. God's so good. So you don't need Psalms above that. Bible now, is we, and who's ever gonna who's ever gonna forget that now? Psalm fifty-five twenty-two. Memorize the verse because you'll never forget the reference. God is so good. Amen. It's very solid. All right, we're gonna pray in closing, but I would encourage you to be great listeners, great students, great catchers of, of everything that the Lord is pouring into us. The truth is, in the future, we may be persecuted to the point we can't even meet publicly, and if that's the case, you're gonna need every bit of Bible knowledge you can possibly get. So get it. Tyler went out to play football, did a great job. Praise God for that. And Mike worked, and they both worked their butts off. I'll be honest with you, it really convicted me. You know why? Because they went out for two hours a week, Monday through Friday, to be a good to be good at football. And he's already kind of good at football to start with, but he's even really good now, even better. How many of us are putting two hours a week in anything that we want to be good at? How many of us are putting two hours a day, five days a week, in learning more about God? Must be great catchers. I'm going to pray for us in closing, and then we'll be through. There is a team leader meeting today. There will be a short break while we get um, get sorted out. And then, if anybody's welcome to come, wants to, maybe in the cafeteria, team leaders, uh, deacons, young fellows, and pastors, I'll expect to be there. We got some good stuff. Pray for our church. Going to be an exciting couple of months, and really all the way into the new year. We're going to do some cool stuff together. That's godly stuff, and, and we're going to pray that God gets the glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are an awesome God. You are the great receiver God. You are waiting and ready to love on us, to serve us, to take care of our great anxieties. I can't. Without even understanding exactly how to do it, so many times we have stumbled on you taking care of what we were struggling with. We talk about facing great anxiety. I'm not talking about worrying. I mean, all of a sudden we're under pressure, we're persecuted, or, or we're perplexed, we're struggling. And you are always there with us to carry those burdens. And somebody is going to go, but I don't see how God does that. I don't feel that. I don't feel what God is doing. The steps are there. It's not a magic spell. As a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, I gain righteousness from my God. I will not be shaken. If I am shaken, then probably I have not gained right, righteousness from my God. How will I not be shaken? I will call out on the name of the Lord morning, noon, and night. I will murmur and complain to him and him alone. I will ask him to show me so that I may learn and grow. I will abide in him, walk in him, and do everything that I am supposed to do and be to the best of my ability inside Christ. Trusting him with my every moment. And I will not be shaken. And then when everything is shaken, if I am the only one, if everything is shaken, if the earth is shaking, the buildings are falling down, if the sky is on fire, if disease is running rampant, 
If poverty strikes America, if our country falls away, if human rights and civil rights become no longer important, I will not be shaken.